Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. What every religious person, regardless of what their particular religion is, assumes is that acceptance with God or entrance into heaven is based upon their efforts to live up to their religion's standard of righteousness. That's what every religious person assumes. And whatever their religion might be, is that acceptance with God or entrance into heaven is based upon their efforts. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian begins his series, Jesus Encounters. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, as he examines an encounter between Jesus and the religious person. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We're going to be looking at the Gospels and and just looking at the different personal encounters that people had with the Lord. And one of the things that I, I hope to see come out of this is just a fresh sense of God's love for people, Christ's dealings with people, uh, understanding how the Lord would address different you know, issues and, and things in our culture today. And in each one of these encounters, of course, Jesus is ultimately bringing people into a relationship with himself. And that's that's the ultimate. That's what's needed. That's what everybody needs, right? Everybody needs to know the Lord. And, you know, God has uh, called us who do know him, who have met him, to be his ambassadors, to be those that would introduce him or, you know, seek to influence them to, to turn to him. So I thought it'd be good for us just to get a fresh uh, perspective on on how Jesus deals with people. And, and hopefully as we go through this, we're going to see that, you know, the, the people that we're talking about, we know people like that. And it's going to benefit us personally in helping us to maybe know how to better reach out to them and connect with them. And uh, I'm going to be looking at these encounters with Jesus from John's gospel, starting here today, as you can see, with the story of the encounter that uh, Jesus had with this man, Nicodemus. Now, here we see Jesus in his dealings with one of the key religious leaders of his day and informing him of his need for something more than his religious devotion if he would enter God's kingdom. So, I've entitled the message today, Jesus and the Religious Person. And now, let me just specify. When I say religious, what I'm talking about is people that believe in some sort of God or spiritual reality. They believe in an afterlife and some required moral standard related to their religious belief. So that's what we're talking about. Jesus and the religious person. So 85% of the world's population is religious. What is the message that Jesus has for the religious person? That's really what we're getting at. Now, let me just say a couple of more things. Of course, when we're talking about religion and religious people, we also have to consider the varying degrees 
of devotion on the one hand and the legitimacy of the religion on the other. Not all religious people are equally devoted and not all religions are equally valid. But now here in the case in John chapter three, we have a man, Nicodemus, who is deeply religious and sincerely devoted and his religion is the right religion. With that being the case, most people would assume that someone like Nicodemus would certainly qualify for entrance into the kingdom of heaven, but Jesus tells us something different. See, the the assumption is amongst people that if you just are sincere and you do your best to adhere to whatever your particular religious conviction is, you know, in the end, everything's going to be okay. You're, you're going to make it to heaven. But Jesus shows us something entirely different with his dealings here with this man, Nicodemus. Now, it's important to understand a little bit more clearly who Nicodemus was to know just exactly what the, the issue is here. And so let's just look at Nicodemus for a moment. We read about him here. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So the first thing we're told about him is that he is a Pharisee. The Pharisees were an elite group of men who were arguably the most righteous people in the world, not merely in the land of Israel, but in the world from the standpoint of external religious observation. They were beyond meticulous when it came to keeping the, the, the smallest details of the law. Now, when we hear the word Pharisee, any of us who have been Christians for a while or we've read the Bible or we've studied the Bible, we oftentimes immediately think of, of Pharisee as a person who uh, was self-righteous and hypocritical. And although that was true of many of the Pharisees, it was not the case with all of them. And with someone like Nicodemus, you find that, that here you have a man who is a Pharisee who is, who, who's genuine. He's sincere. He's sincere concerning his faith in God. He's seeking to please God. And he's doing so by living a holy life based upon God's requirements revealed in the law. But we see also in Nicodemus that he's, he's got some admirable qualities. He is a genuinely humble man. Now, that would not be so among many of his contemporaries, but he was genuinely humble. Why do I say that? Because when he approaches Jesus, he refers to Jesus as a rabbi. Now, rabbi was a respected term, and it was generally reserved for those who had studied in the academies and, you know, had had gone through a process and, and become recognized. Nicodemus himself would have been considered a rabbi. Jesus had none of those things, but Nicodemus, in humility, he refers to Jesus as rabbi. He says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And so he's humble and he's also teachable. At a certain point, he finally says to Jesus, how can these things be? So he's seeking understanding from Jesus, even though Jesus refers to him as the teacher of Israel. So in Nicodemus we have the perfect specimen among the religious of the world. And this is what I want us to understand. 
we have the perfect specimen in Nicodemus. Now, if Nicodemus is the perfect specimen and he is not able through his righteousness to enter the kingdom, then that means that everybody else is shut out as well. Now, what every religious person, regardless of what their particular religion is, assumes is that acceptance with God or entrance into heaven is based upon their efforts to live up to their religion's standard of righteousness. That's what every religious person assumes. And, and let me again just broaden this out. We're talking about anyone who's religious, whether they identify in some way uh, with the larger understanding of Christianity, people who are devoted to Islam, not the Islamist, not the, the murderous type, but just the, the sincere, uh, devout Muslim or the Hindu or the Jewish person or whatever the case. But the assumption of every person who is committed to whatever their religion might be is that acceptance with God or entrance into heaven is based upon their efforts. In this encounter with Jesus, what Nicodemus discovers is that his assumption of works-based acceptance with God is false. That's what Nicodemus learns in his encounter with Jesus, that he has got it wrong. He's the teacher of Israel, and he has got it wrong. Now, as, as Nicodemus comes to Jesus here, as we read the account, I want you to notice that Jesus knows that there's a question behind the question. So Nicodemus comes, he comes by night, John notes that, and it could be that because of who he was and because of the reputation that Jesus had among some, that he felt that it was safer to come to Jesus under the cover of night as to not be seen, perhaps. But he comes to Jesus by night, and he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do except God is with him. And now notice how Jesus answers. He says, unless one is born, again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Most assuredly, I say to you. So Jesus recognizes with Nicodemus, there is a question behind his, his question. And the, and the deeper question for Nicodemus is how does one enter the kingdom? kingdom? Now, now think about this for a moment. This, is, this guy epitomizes the religious person. He's, he's religious in the best possible sense. He's sincere. He's devoted. He's committed, he's humble, he's all of those things. I mean, he's, he's the kind of person that most people would look at and have that same assumption. Well, of course this guy's going to heaven. I mean, if, if this guy's not going to heaven, then nobody's going to heaven. That's exactly the point. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You need something that you cannot conjure up yourself. You need something to be done for you that you can't do for yourself. Nicodemus said in response, 
how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You see, Nicodemus, he is perplexed at how such a thing is even possible. But you see, the problem is he's thinking in natural terms. Jesus is speaking of things that are spiritual. And so Jesus goes on and he says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. So Jesus now makes it clear that he's talking about being born of the spirit. He's talking about a spiritual birth. I am spiritually dead. You are spiritually dead. We, all human beings, are spiritually dead. And the flesh, that which is born of the flesh, can only produce, in the end, the flesh. So we must have a new birth. Only the Spirit can produce in us the life of the Spirit. Jesus said, you, you must be born again of, of water and the Spirit. Jesus uses the analogy of birth for two reasons. Number one, because that is what is going to happen. But secondly, to, to show that it's not something that we do for ourselves any more than our own birth was anything that we ourselves had anything to do with. Timothy Keller put it this way. He said, what did you have to do, Jesus is asking, with being born? Did you work hard to earn the privilege of being born? Did it happen due to your skillful planning? Not at all. You don't contribute anything to being born. It is a free gift of life, and so it is with the new birth. Salvation is by grace. There are no moral efforts that can earn or merit it. You must be born again. The message and we can hearken back a little bit into the earlier chapters of John's gospel. The message is entrance into God's kingdom can only happen by a supernatural act of God creating a new life in a human being. That's the message of true Christianity. That's the message of the gospel. Now, here's the question. How does this happen? This is the question Nicodemus is asking. So when he finally gets his head around the fact that this is what is needed, this is what is necessary ultimately to enter the kingdom, this new birth. Um, so his question is, well, how? And he asked, do we go a second time into the mother's womb? No, he, he's thinking on natural terms there. Jesus clears that up for him. He says he's talking about being born of the Spirit. Okay, but now the question still remains. How is one born of the Spirit then? And the answer to that question is given in verses 14 through 16. And so listen to what Jesus says. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How is one born of the spirit? First of all, the son has to be lifted up. The son of man has to be lifted up. So in order for this new birth to become a reality, the son had to be lifted up or had to be given. Now in John 3.16, as we read there, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I I think we oftentimes think of giving, God giving his son as just giving in the sense of Jesus coming into the world, the incarnation. Of course, it includes that, but it's more specifically talking about the giving of, of Christ as a sacrifice for sin. So one is, is born of the spirit, first of all, through the work of Christ on the cross. Now, Jesus, he does an interesting thing here in pointing Nicodemus back to this event in the history of the people of Israel, this very obscure event. It's recorded for us in the book of Numbers. And, and it's the story of the children of Israel as they're journeying through the wilderness and as they're continuing to rebel against the Lord and complain against God and Moses, there's a point where God allows these serpents to come into the camp and to strike them and to kill them. And so Moses goes to the Lord in prayer for the people and God gives him this strange instruction. He says, take and fashion a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole and erect it in the middle of the camp and then instruct anyone who is bitten by a serpent, instruct them to look to the bronze serpent on the pole and they will be healed. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man will be lifted up. See, Jesus tells Nicodemus that that whole incident was about him and what he had come to do that sin would be judged and publicly displayed on the cross. And all of those who believed that to be true and looked to that, just like the ancient Israelites were delivered from the, the consequences of the, of the deadly bite of the serpent, so we would be delivered from the consequences and the death of sin. And then, for God so loved the world that he gave. So he's basically saying the same thing in both verses. So how, how is this to be? How can this take place? How is it that one is born again? The son of man had to be lifted up, which he has been lifted up. But what do we do? Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, this is the way of salvation. The way of salvation is through simple, genuine trust in Jesus as the Son of God and Savior of the world. This brings about the new birth that Jesus told Nicodemus was imperative for entrance into the kingdom. So how are we born again? How is anyone born again? Who has to be born again? Anyone who would enter the kingdom, anyone who would perceive the kingdom must be born again in order to do so. Apart from that, there is no entrance into the kingdom. So religion might give the outward appearance of righteousness, 
but only personal trust in Christ can give us the new birth that is required for us to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in closing, you know, it is possible that you have spent your entire life in church involved in religious activity, things like praying and worshiping and studying and fasting and doing good works. You know, it's possible that that you could have spent your entire life in the context of the church doing those things, but yet you've not been born again. It is entirely possible. As a matter of fact, there are multitudes of people that that would be the case with them because we can easily substitute religious duty and think that that's the way. And, and you know, again, sadly enough, uh, within the realm of the Christian church, there's so much confusion. We can understand it, this in the synagogue. We can understand this in the mosque. We can understand this in the, the Buddhist temple. We can, we can understand that people wouldn't necessarily automatically get the, the necessity of being born again. But how it can be that in the church people don't get it, well, that's, that's a great tragedy. But again, as I referred to earlier, it's because much of the church for many centuries has disengaged from the word of God and, and put in its place the, the ideas of men. But whether it is a church or a synagogue or a mosque and it's been praying or worshiping or studying or fasting or doing good. None of these things can bring the dead human spirit to life. Only the spirit of God can do that. And that happens through faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. So for those who have put their trust in him personally, and received as Jesus instructed Nicodemus that he must do that message of, of believing that he died as a sacrifice for our sin upon the cross and rose again from the dead. As, as we believe that, that makes us the children of God and it makes us the heirs of heaven. It gives us eternal life And nothing less than that can do that for us. And so, again, as we close, you know, if if you're with us today and you have suddenly realized that maybe you've been religious, but you've never experienced this miracle of the new birth, today is the day for you to do that. And I, I want to invite you and and encourage you and exhort you and challenge you not to leave this place today until you receive Christ personally and become born of the spirit. And maybe also for others of us who we've already come there, but perhaps we know people that are in this place. They're, They're very religious and I mean, we might even know some religious hypocrites, but we, we might know some people that are genuinely, sincerely religious, but they don't have that personal relationship with God through Christ. May God help us to help them to come to know that 
and to receive that. For the month of March, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. In our current climate of social injustice and sexual ethics, many today do not believe that Jesus has any relevance for today's culture. But what exactly does Jesus say about social injustice and sexual ethics? And in a world filled with moral atrocities, have you ever wondered what it means when people say that God is love? What does Jesus' love actually look like in everyday life in the 21st century? If you've ever wrestled with any of these questions or know someone who wants to know who Jesus is, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443. Or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian. As we continue our series, Jesus Encounters. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.